What is up? Welcome to the Selby is Godcast. TJ Zuppi, Zach Meisel here from The Athletic in The Athletic Cleveland. Hello, Zach. How are you, my friend? TJ, this is probably going to crash at some point and never going to work, so we should just spout off the most ridiculous things we could ever think of. I mean, last week was pretty incredible. We got into a myriad of topics that I never thought we would ever approach on a podcast. And just when we were about to solve essentially all the world's problems, the the damn thing crashed. So it's gone forever. What can you do? Yeah, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And all of our listeners are just pining to to listen to the latest episode of the Selbia's Godcast. And, you know, there are going to be some weeks where, unfortunately, we can't get to this and i think that's just going to make people want it more and it's it makes it sweeter so soak it up if if Corey kluber can have a bad day or two bad days (laughs) a really couple bad days why can't we have a week where things just don't go right and we talk for half an hour and the app crashes and we don't get to to talk to our fans don't don't blame it on us it's technology (laughs) we had nothing to do with it we're always great well, that's that's how the world goes now, I suppose. You just push blame onto somebody else. So, yeah, I could be down with that. Freaking equipment. We were great. Yeah. We were spectacular on that podcast. Can we? Can you guarantee the same sort of greatness this week? No. <laughs> Let me take people behind the curtain for a second. I am currently, because my child is upstairs sleeping, just put him down for a nap. I have uh, our... Our dog is upstairs somewhere. Our cat is roaming around at my feet right now. Doesn't want to ever be in the basement unless you're in the basement. So I am just trying to be quiet and not wake up the baby and get away from the animals and the barking and whatever else might happen outside. And what are you doing right now? Uh, You know, I'm hanging out with uh, Linus, the lab. You can follow him on Instagram at Linus underscore the underscore lab underscore. And, uh, you know, you got to keep him entertained because naturally he was taking a nap and we were about to start this thing and he just started barking his head off. So (laughs) you might hear barking at some point. I can't control it. He's a giant puppy beast and he runs the house, the neighborhood and most of Northeast Ohio. And so I gave him a new bone to try to keep him occupied, but you never know with these things. That's what I don't think people realize. And anyone that does a podcast probably understands the pain of trying to find somewhere in some part of your house where everything is quiet and you can go and not be bothered. And no matter what you try, no matter how much you plan, there is nothing that can be done for when things go to hell whenever you're on the podcast. That's, and that happens almost every time. I told you last week I was doing a I hit with a podcast in New York, wanted to talk about Mickey Calloway. Unfortunately, nobody heard this conversation because our app crashed. But, as I told you, I, I had to, or I told him I would join the podcast around 8 o'clock or so. Completely forgot that I was going to do it. The phone starts ringing at 7.57. And in the house, the, the child is running crazily. I think he was fully clothed, but you know, you never know. He would just be running around in a diaper and ripping that off and throwing it around. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got the TV is on full blast because I'm trying to distract him as I'm writing out a list for something that I'm writing. Um, the dog is barking 
And I, I realized, oh, crap, I have to be on this in three minutes, and I have to somehow <laughs> get the house to calm down for 10 minutes so I could do this without being bothered. And I had to find the batteries that were out of the remote because I take the batteries out of the remote to give them to Ethan so he can play with the remote or else it's, you know, it's a shit show. So it's it's a, it's a struggle sometimes. And I think people, you know, would, would appreciate how much work we have to go through to bring this every single week. Where's the craziest place you've ever done a radio hit? Uh, let's see. I have... I've done the well. I've had to go out to my car and close the the car sure. door and just sit in the car, not running, and have people look out at you funny mm-hmm. as you're sitting in there. I have gone into a closet and shut the door. Uh, so that might be seven seconds in heaven. Yeah, it was. It was a good ten minutes. I tell you that. Uh, I you know I think I've done a. a some sort of radio hit almost everywhere. Like at the grocery store, at Walmart, I've done them there. Yeah, grocery store, golf course. Golf course is a good one. Yeah, I think right before, you know what? Uh, It was in the middle of a movie, I believe, or we were about to go see a movie and I stepped out in the hallway and did a hit for something. Yeah, I I think if there's a place that you're not supposed to be doing live radio from, I think I've been there doing live radio. And the best is when it's it's early morning. I get every time I have to go on ninety two three the morning show. God, what a bunch of jackasses! <laughs> um, we love Anthony Lima and Ken Carmen here, but um, oh, note that you put do, Lima first instead of Carmen. That's interesting. Don't always don't always love the producer who whoever it is because they've gone through a few text text you the night before and says, "Hey, can you come on at six a.m.?" as you're in like the twelfth inning of a game the night before, but. You know, some of the times when it's been like I'm going on at 7:40 and I set my alarm for like 7:35, but I like turn it <laughs> off and I'm still kind of like, oh, I don't really want to get up. And then the phone rings and it's the producer, and you're like, hello. And they're like, oh, did we wake you? And you're like, no, 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 I've been up for a while. <laughs> why, why, do, why, do, why do you do that? Why do I do that every time somebody <laughs> calls you and you're? It's it could be five in the morning. You're like, no, no, I just got. I'm just on a treadmill right now. Actually, I'm, just, uh, <laughs> I'm doing good. Just folded some laundry. Yeah. Nah, you didn't wake me at all. Because we all want to think we're productive members <laughs> of society who rise early and go to bed at a respectable time and are always super efficient and productive. And even when we're covering games until three in the morning, what was there was one day where there was like a rain delay and then a rain out or something in extra innings. I don't remember if it, it might have been one of the playoff games or it, it might have been game two. And they asked me to come on the next morning at like 6.40 or something. I'm like, <laughs> you know, probably not going to be uh, the best idea for me to Coherent. do that. And then, yeah, and then I end up leaving the ballpark at like 6.40 in the morning. And it's like, well, I guess probably could have just joined you in studio. Do you, I have to, if I go on early, just really anytime after I just wake up, I have to guzzle like a half a glass of water. Because I find myself about halfway through the hit, not having any saliva in my mouth. I, yep. I, 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 I am completely dry mouth. I can't talk. I can't think. And I have problems with that anyways. So to do that at 6 or 7 in the morning is always fun. Sometimes I – because like in the morning, usually you, you don't think about it, but you clear your throat at some point before you talk to another human being. But sometimes I like do a radio hit first thing in the morning <laughs> – I won't recognize the voice. Like, 
I'm, who who is this talking? Sometimes it sounds better. It sounds like a little deeper and uh, kind of sexy, sleepier, I guess. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And then sometimes it's like, guy, you never know what's going to come out. We're, we're talking live with Lindsay Lohan. All right, Zach. <laughs> uh, people probably tired of us complaining and talking about all of our problems because Lord knows everyone has their own right now. Let's talk baseball. Uh, probably not a lot of people getting sleep last night watching Game 5 of the the World Series, and rightfully so because I am still trying to completely figure out what the hell happened last night with all the three-run home runs and, and, and all of the diving miscatches and guys coming back to later make up for it with tying home runs and, and starting pitchers that are just so good that are just getting drilled. A lot to, uh, to try to make sense of last night. Did you able, were you able to sit down and watch much of last night's game? Yeah, and I think we can make sense of like, okay, it, offense is up right now. These are two teams that can hit home runs. These are – Minute Maid Park is – it welcomes home runs. To that. Look at that short porch in left field. Like everyone just targets that and then wants to hit one out there. But what I can't wrap my head around and, and obviously – two of these five games have been all-timers. What I can't wrap my head around is some of these pitches that hitters are hitting out of the park. Like, even Yas, no one's talking about Yasiel Puig's home run in the ninth inning. He just, like, reached out. It's, it's the type of ball you reach out and you poke to the outfield and hope it you get a bloop single. Instead, he, he yanked it over the left field fence, and it's like, like, he's not trying to hit a home run there. Like, he didn't even make good contact. And, 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 like, Carlos Correa's home run was just bizarre, and it looked like it was a pop-up to short left field. Like, some of these swings you don't think deserve to be anything remotely close to a home run, and they're resulting in giant seismic momentum shifts that are swinging the World Series odds one way or the other. Okay, it's, well, here's here's the question, crazy. Zach. If, if there is something going on with the ball, which – seems like there's enough evidence out there from people that have looked into it and smarter than you and I can see that there is something going on with the ball. It's different, uh, whether it's juiced or it's a little bit more slick or guys can't throw their slider, whatever it is, there's something up with it. The seams aren't the way they usually are. And so maybe that's contributing to the home runs and on top of guys just trying to hit more home runs and the way the game has evolved, all, all of that. Let's just say that all of that's true is, is the, the outcome, because this is what I think is getting lost, is the outcome of that, these spectacular games with these huge momentum swings and incredible home runs, isn't that creating the type of drama that you want? Well, I, yeah. I can understand that maybe the integrity of the game is hurt because it's impacting stats that will be in the record book forever, and I get that. You know, It's not going to be the same as looking back on past World Series, but everybody is talking about this World Series for being freaking insane and rightfully so so is, is it such a bad thing and that's what i i guess that's what i'm having trouble with because yes i can see the integrity element of this but god are these games compelling the the world series was the first topic of conversation on sports center this morning and that might seem like okay so what that's important it's important for the league it's important for a game that needs to appeal to a wider demographic than just the 60-year-old curmudgeon in his living room who can't stay up until the seventh inning of these World Series games anyway. And Shout the out, NFL, Greg Brenda. He's the number one <laughs> the listener. NFL, 
is the NFL is such a watered-down product, and it's, it's really hard to identify good teams, and you're seeing just crappy, crappy football. And yet that league, whether it's the controversial stuff like the kneeling for the anthem or the concussions, or it's just the quarterback play and the injuries, and like it doesn't matter what it is. The NFL is always at the forefront, whether it's ESPN, Fox Sports 1, radio stations, the Browns here on local radio, like it doesn't matter. The NFL is always first. And for the, for MLB to, to whatever they have to do to cut into that a little bit and draw some attention. And I know attendance is good around the league. I know every team is flushed with cash. That's fine, but they need more mainstream attention and they need to be not such a regional local sport sometimes. And this is the time to do that. And so if it takes a crazy 13 to 12 game that features just countless ridiculous home runs. Yeah, we'll take it even if you suffer in the short term and you suffer a little bit to the diehard fan who really wants to see that three to two pitchers duel and, and see hitters struggle to, to make contact. I mean, and I agree that there's an element of, of those of that fan base out there, but I would say because of the nature of what we do are, wouldn't you say your Twitter feed, what would be the percentage of people that are talking baseball in your Twitter feed almost every day? There's some of it, but it's been quiet for a few weeks. Well, yeah, I just mean in general. I mean, the vast majority of people on my timeline, I would say 70 to 80%, just because of who I follow and getting rid of NBA guys I don't need to follow anymore, NFL. I've cleaned that out, and most of it is baseball. So I, I feel like the majority of people that I follow are the diehard, die really insane baseball fans. And just reading through Twitter last night, everyone was loving the hell out of it. So, yeah, you're probably alienating some, but even the biggest baseball supporters are finding this to be full of drama. And while it's insane and things are, are happening that are just wild, it still is making for fantastic television. Yeah, and I, again, I don't have a problem with it, and I don't have a problem with it moving forward. It's more fun to cover games like this than games five years ago when the Indians went 5-24 and 24 in August and couldn't score, couldn't pitch. I mean, it's, it's the better baseball is the more exciting baseball. I think, I mean, it's, everyone wants to complain about what the steroid era did, but it was fun as hell, right? I mean, who cares? I mean... <laughs> You don't want players juicing, but, like, it was so entertaining to watch every night. Maguire and Sosa captivated the entire country. And and so it's – at least people are talking about it. I think that's important. With your Twitter thing, I mean, I, I follow – the thing that sticks out to me is, is, is when you, you follow national people or people who do cover other sports and they're talking about the World Series. That's what you want. Everyone tunes into the Super Bowl. Everybody. It doesn't matter who is playing. And it's, you know, it, it's been made a big deal that the World Series beat Sunday night football last night. Like, mm-hmm. I know it's not com- comparable because the Super Bowl is, is one game. It's winner take all. But still, like, the World Series should be bigger than a Sunday, a weekly Sunday night game. And, and so it's, it's good for the game. They need to keep growing. And, and if uh, it's not like every game is 13 to 12. And hopefully, hopefully some, there's some correction here. <laughs> Um, because I don't think, I think it's going to get a little tired if every single game goes five and a half hours next year, but in the short term, in the interim, this is good. Yeah. I'm just 
enjoying it and enjoying the the huge swings of what many would be referred to as momentum. But I feel like with the way this World Series is playing out, I, I feel like we can just retire that word, momentum. If you look at the Dodgers and oh, well, the Dodgers clearly have the momentum here because you know they swung the bats well at the end of the last game and they carry that over and then they got their ace on the mound, so everything's great. They have the momentum, and then a three-run home run by Guriel and and the momentum—it's back on the Astros side. And if momentum can swing that quickly, can we retire it? Can we say that that's not really a thing, or at least not a thing in the way that we've come to know it? Yeah, I've never bought into it in baseball, um, and, and I think people wanted to talk about it during the Indians-Yankees series, and I tried to say it's not real. I mean, it, it's the Indians were up 2 nothing, and if they would have swept, it wasn't because of momentum. If they would have swept, it was because they were going to score a run off of uh, Tanaka, and it was the same thing coming back. If Corey Kluber pitches well, well, the Yankees wouldn't have had momentum then. I mean, it's... It's baseball. It's so different because day to day, it's really different. And I think you can even look at the twenty-two game winning streak, and it's like there's no momentum. It's just a matter of if any of the Indian starting pitchers weren't awesome on one night during that streak, which happens all the time because you play 162 times. It's hard to be awesome every time you go out there. Then the Indian streak would have been much shorter than twenty-two. It's just it's it's so different and. You know, certain things, some, you win games sometimes 2-1, to one, sometimes you win them 10-1, to one, and it's one thing goes your way or one little ball, uh, ball bounces a little this way or that way. I mean, it's, it's so different than football where the defense can, can feed off of what it did last drive or feed off of the offense or, um, or, or in basketball when, you know, you really hunker down defensively or you start feeling hot from three and you hit a bunch in a row. It's, 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 it's just so different. And so I, I've never really believed in momentum in baseball. Now, if you throw a pitcher out there for the fifth time in six days and he's never pitched three straight before, like Brandon Morrow did yesterday, yeah, you have momentum because you give up a home run, a single, a double, another home run. Like, there's momentum there. The Astros are feeding off of his uh, inability to be 100%. But, but I think that's – I mean, isn't that more confidence or a lack of confidence? That I believe in. I think confidence helps you. If you go up to the plate and you saw, let's say in your last at-bat, you, you blooped one into left field. You didn't even get all of it, but you blooped one into left field and you got a single out of it. You know, he reached base, and that helps you feel more confident of the plate. doesn't mean you're going to succeed, but you just feel better about yourself. Or the, it could be the, the other way around. If you walk a couple of guys and your confidence wanes and then you kind of get in your own head, that I believe in. But that's not momentum. That's just right. a player – being confident or not confident in the situation. Yeah, I mean, and pitchers, some days they just don't have it. You just don't feel right. You just can't find your off-speed stuff. You can't locate your fastball. Like, we hear it all the time. Like, there's a reason why I hate post-game interviews. Hate them, hate them, hate them. Especially during the regular season in May and June when they mean nothing and the players don't want to be there and we don't want to be there. But so often they start with, when you ask the starting pitcher, how'd you feel tonight? It's the worst question ever. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. But the, the reason I think that that is asked is because it is possible for the starting pitcher to feel one way or another, different ends of the spectrum. And it's just sometimes you never really know. And, and we hear from pitchers who 
in their bullpen before they go out there for their start. They throw 20, 30 warm-up pitches, and everything's amazing. Everything's coming out great. They're locating everything, and they go to the mound, and they don't have it at all. They can't <laughs> find the strike zone. And so it's not – there's no momentum, and good pitchers will feel good way more often than average pitchers will. And it's just a matter of, of making sure you, you've got it, or if you don't have it, you can still find a way to succeed. And that's not, that's not momentum. And that, that's, that's why there isn't momentum day to day. And the old adage, momentum only goes as far as the next day's starting pitcher, is, it's true. Um, because if, if Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw last night, then this is a, a completely different story. I thought last night, and you will relate to this more than most, felt like one of those WrestleMania matches, whether it was like Cena against The Rock or, or any anytime you have these huge headline guys, Stone Cold versus The Rock or Triple H. And it reminded me of those matches, and I, I tweeted something to the effect last night where the Astros just kept kicking out and kept kicking out and kept kicking out. It felt like one of those matches where you see three finishing moves from the one guy, three more from the other. They keep kicking out of the, the move that is supposed to end the match and everyone's kind of insane. That, that's what that felt like to me. Like four false finishers. The game should have been over four different times and it wasn't. And that's kind of what made it uh, at least a little bit insane. I agree completely. I, you know, as you know, I occasionally, like if I'm eating breakfast or something and I don't have emails to read or I'll watch an old wwe attitude era clip on youtube and it reminded me of one i watched last week where i think stone cold was fighting kurt angle to become number one contender in i think 2000 and stone cold kicked out of like three finishers it was ridiculous he was supposed to have tapped out at one point but something happened i don't know if the the ref fell down or what but (laughs) then all it takes is he 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 kicks out of the Olympic slam and then just like randomly get pops up, kicks angle in the stomach, <laughs> gives him a stunner and the match is over. And it's, that's what last night felt like. Cause it was like every single home run was like Austin just popping up and stunning him and winning. Cause it was like, how are you hitting this pitch out of the ballpark? Like that doesn't make any sense. And, was, and the game should have been over five times. It was LOL Astros win. That's what last night was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they have momentum going into game six, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, before we transition to our bigger topic for the day, uh, any final comments on the hiring of Carla Willis last week? I know we didn't really get to talk about it on the podcast, you know, because it didn't happen. But what were your thoughts on, on the hire? Uh, it, it was fine. I, a lot of people were freaking out, and I think it was, to me, it seemed like, Oh man, Indians fans can't remember what it's like to have a normal off season where baseball's still going on and your under your team's undergoing changes. Uh, it's there. There was none of that. This team's had so much continuity, and it's had optimism going into the next year. And this is the first time where that's like been tempered. And so, I think a lot of fans were, for some reason, annoyed that it wasn't an internal hire. I don't really know why. I don't. I mean, Carl Willis is as close to an internal hire as you can get. The difference between him and Steve Carse or Jason Bure or Ruben Niebla is that he's also already coached four Cy Young winners. So I, I don't see why you'd have a problem with it. I don't know that the pitching coach, as we talked about, makes that much of a difference anyway because this isn't like a staff 
searching for answers. I, I don't think Corey Kluber is going to suffer next season because he's got Carl Willis instead of Mickey Calloway. And I don't think – I think the good thing is Trevor Bauer has turned a corner, we hope, we think. So he's the one guy, him and Danny Salazar, are maybe the two guys on the staff who – Maybe the pitching coach matters more to them than others, but there's still plenty of familiar faces around, and these guys aren't 24 years old anymore. So to me, it's it's not something I would ever consider losing sleep over, and I don't really know that anyone else should either. I was in favor of uh, an internal hire, as I wrote at The Athletic, but I mean, as you said, Carl Willis has been around the organization enough that this was as close as you can be to an internal hire without it actually being so. The fact that he was around in... In 2014, as a, an advisor in 2015, briefly as a pitching coach at AAA, and you know, he has some experience with some of the younger guys, which I think is important, more so than some of the veteran guys. And as you said, you know there will be a lot of familiar faces hanging around too. Jason Bure reportedly won't be one of those and maybe could find himself in New York alongside Mickey Calloway, which kind of seems like a natural fit, wouldn't you say? Yeah. But, I mean, you have so much familiarity with the coaching staff and guys around, and, and the staff itself will be pretty much intact. Probably not a ton of changes there. So it's, it's, it's not worrisome to begin with. And I think bringing in someone with the resume of Carl Willis, who has, as you said, coached four Cy Young winners, and this will be his 15th season doing this, and has been around successful veteran pitching staffs, it probably isn't as much to, to worry about as maybe some made it out to be. But you're right, I, there's probably an element of that because people just wanted to see Ruben Niebla get his shot or Steve Carse or Jason Bure or Scott Atchison or, or whomever. And those guys just didn't have the experience of Carl Willis and maybe they just weren't comfortable making making that jump. Do you think just the the inexperience there for, for a pitching staff that is more veteran and is expected to continue to do big things played into that? Maybe. I also think it was more just Carl Willis is out there. Why don't we grab him? Especially once Mickey went and you thought, okay, well, he might take another coach or two with him. You can't just do internal hires forever. You got to fill some holes at some point from the outside. So why not bring him in? He has familiarity with some of the coaches already in place. He has familiarity with some of the pitchers already here. It's Again, it's anyone who wants to just – make this out to be some huge failure is kind of missing the point and overreacting. So uh, it's not a big deal to me. They're, they're going to have other spots to fill as well. Um, they have to fill the, the assistant hitting coach role. And really it's, that's, that's so, it's all so secondary to the roster itself and some of the decisions they'll have to make there. And you already made that decision. Ronnie Belliard was the guy you threw out. <laughs> Yeah. As the assistant hitting coach. Yeah, why, why not? Just bring back all the former Indians and let him fill all the roles. Uh, do you have any memories of him playing in the 2004 All-Star game, by the way? No. The, the, they had – did they have five All-Stars that year? Matt Lawton and CeCe Sabathia and Victor Martinez and one more. Hafner? No, not Hafner. Was it – I don't remember. Belliard, Lawton, Martinez, CC, and Jake, Jake Westbrook. Westbrook. Man, 
And the amazing thing to me about that team having five All-Stars, because remember, they got hot in the second half. Yeah, the guy was in a game of the Twins. I think they were 42 and 45 at the All-Star break. Yeah, 42 and 45. How how is that team having five (laughs) All-Stars? Do you have the box score for that game? I need to know how the the Indians that made the All-Star team fared in that game. Are you going to make me pull this up right now? I'm working on it right now. Okay. The American League All-Stars, if this wants to go. Man, what a, what a lineup. The, the AL All-Stars that year, their lineup, Ichiro leading off, Yvonne Rodriguez hitting second, Vladimir Guerrero in right field hitting third, Manny Ramirez fourth in left field, Alex Rodriguez third base, Jason Giambi at first, Derek Jeter at short, Alfonso Soriano at second, and the pitcher Mark Mulder was the starter, and he hit ninth. In that game, Ronnie Belliard struck out in his only plate appearance and added .002 win probability to the NL squad <laughs> with that strikeout. Uh, Victor Martinez also, he went 0 for 1. He did not strike out. Uh, CC Sabathia, did he pitch in this game? Yeah. Oh, Matt Lawton got a hit. CC was the reason why the, the NL essentially won this game. Gave up three runs and four hits in an inning. Faced seven batters. That didn't go well for CeCe. Was that the year? Yeah. Roger Clemens, he came back and pitched for Houston. He was incredible. And then just tanked in the All-Star game, right? First inning. Gave up six runs, three of them earned. Uh, Oh, yeah. The AL won that game. Sorry. 9-4. But CeCe was responsible for three of those runs in an inning. Jake Westbrook go, did make it in. Do you ever go look at an all-star roster from a certain year and just try to pick out like one or two names where it's like, the, how? How on earth did this happen? <laughs> and a lot of times it's because every team has to be represented. But I Hank look Blaylock? Ken Harvey. <laughs> the big first baseman from the Royals? Ken Harvey. Who? Matt he was Watt? an all-star in 2004 Whoa. when he had a 759 OPS. And, his, and that was it. He played 12 games the next year, and his career was over. Uh, Matt Lawton, by the way, played center field in that game for the American League. Well, that's before they had defensive runs saved and ultimate zone rating. <laughs> yeah, that must have been it. Uh, wasn't, uh, oh, Brian LaHare an all-star? Was Brian he, an all-star? he was. He Brian had an LaHare amazing was... first half with the Cubs. He was an all-star in 2012. It was his also final time playing in the major leagues. He finished with 16 home runs, 40 RBI, and a 784 OPS. But he was an all-star that year. And he was with the Indians like a year or two later. I was going through some photos from 2014. Somehow I ended up stumbling upon them. And Brian LaHare is featured prominently in some of the photos I took from some spring training. So how about that? Memories, man. Those are days that you never can get back. Speaking of memories, this is what we've been gearing for all afternoon long. So you're ready. Ted Lilly was an all-star in 2004. He had like an okay couple of years, right? He was okay. Yeah, he was fine. Slightly solid. Okay, let's do this. So thought maybe instead of just us listing things that we remember, we liked, special moments... 
uh, from the 2017 season. I thought we could maybe get a little creative and pick back and forth in a little bit of uh, draft style so that we can't double up and say, yeah, I also think that was great. And then at the end, we'll figure out who has the, the better list. So would you like to, uh, to lead us off with a little bit of a 2017 memories draft between Zach and TJ? Sure. Why do I get first pick, though? I think let's – I'll give you a trivia question. If you can get it right, <laughs> you can pick first. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to pick a random Indian from this century, and I will give you three facts about that player. And if you can guess it right – now, but you have to promise that you are not – I won't look it up. I won't Google it. Looking it up. Okay, ready? Yes. This player was acquired by the Indians from the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. That's clue, clue one. Okay. Clue two. I thought for sure you were going to go to Dono, but <laughs> no. not acquired from the Cardinals. Play, uh, clue two. This player finished his Cleveland career or Cleveland tenure with a slash line of 276, 306, 394. And okay. clue number three, he was traded to the Indians in exchange for Ronnie Belliard. Oh, man. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, Ryan Ludwig. No, the correct answer is Hector Luna. Ah, Hector Luna. 37 career games with the Indians. Um, not much more to say about him. Pretty, uh, he's in that list of, I think it's 43 players who started a game at second base for the Indians between Robbie Alomar and Jason Kibnis. Would that be your number one memory? Oh, wait, that didn't happen this year. I'm sorry. You have the number one pick now. Yeah, so the number one pick, I will go with um, the Francisco... Does So if I want to go with win number 22, do I have to pick between you, you Lindor's pick- game... Because you have the first pick, you can set it up however you want. So, I'm just going to say, generally speaking, the last two innings of... I'm just going to say win number 22. And that, to me, the thing that stands out more than the Bruce walk-off is the improbability of Lindor hitting the ball off the wall right. and tying that game when it seemed like things were, were over. Yeah, and I, it's there was a playoff feel, I think... It was the first time because we had heard for weeks from players just chanting the mantra one day at a time, not focused, and, and like telling us that, like, nope, you guys are just making a big deal out of it. We're not focused on it. And then after the game, every single player either tweets or posts on Instagram something with the number 22. It's like, come on, you guys have been paying attention to this. You know how many games in a row you've won. Uh, can't bullshit a bullshitter. All right. Uh, since the, you left me with the number two pick, I will go with uh, also something Francisco Lindor related. And I will say that Grand Slam in Texas 
that hmm. forced that young blonde to sob uncontrollably in the stands in the the opening week, game three. I will take that Lindor slam that gave them the lead and ultimately gave them a 3-0 start to the season, which they quickly squandered away in Arizona. But I will take Lindor, the grand slam at Texas, with pick number two. Back to you. That's the perfect example of momentum in baseball meaning nothing, right? <laughs> they yeah. sweep Texas. They do it in incredible fashion. And we're all like, oh, my God, this team's going to win 130 games. The World Series is theirs. And then they come home from the road trip at 3-3. Three and three. Um, At one point, Jordan Bastian asked Paul Hoynes if he ever thought the Indians would lose this year after they started 3-0. So. What's hilarious is we all – yeah, they start 3-0. We're like, oh, my God, they're going to win 102 games. They're going to – yeah, well, they did. It just <laughs> didn't look that way for a few months. Um, I will go with – I'll go with another Lindor Grand Slam, game two. Um Maybe like the last happy moment for Indians fans this year. Um, that was that was incredible. And not only that, but people don't realize it didn't even tie the game. They still had to score again. But it, it was almost like it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to. Like it they weren't losing that game once once he hit that out. And and it seemed like, you know, Kluber has a terrible start for the first time in months there's panic because this team seems mortal and the way they had set things up like once Bauer threw that game in game one I think a lot of people were like okay they have to win two out of four and you have Kluber starting two of those like they're fine and then all of a sudden because momentum means nothing Kluber (laughs) pitches poorly and the Indians are down eight three and it's like okay well this is going to be tougher than we thought and then Lindor goes deep, and we think, okay, maybe it's not going to be as tough as we thought. So it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, and just the rea- his reaction, the reaction of his teammates um, coming out of the dugout, that was pretty cool. For my second pick, the fourth overall, I'm going to go with a storyline, and that was the Encarnacion slow start storyline of the first month and some change which I feel like we wrote about once nightly when he was all he was essentially doing early was walking, which was keeping the, the OPS respectable. And he was still contributing despite the fact that he was hitting below 200 for the first month. And everyone was concerned that this is Nick Swisher 2.0. And oh my God, this guy is not anything close to what we thought he would be. And then a little bit of research you, you dig in, you realize, okay, this guy's a notoriously slow starter, and every year he finishes with monster numbers. Lo and behold, at the end of the year, you look up, and he finished with monster numbers. I mean, pretty close to what everyone would have signed up for uh, beginning of the season if you would have told them, this is going to be Encarnacion's final slash line. And most people would have said, okay, I'm all right with that. But that first month of the season, how many times did, how many tweets did we get from that, Zach? Like, almost nightly. People were freaking out about Encarnacion. Yeah, that was it was painful, and it, you knew, based on his track record, that it would get better. But you do wonder when a player's thirty-four years old, at some point there's that decline. Now it doesn't happen overnight, where it's that steep of a decline, unless it's Swisher, you, right? Jesus, and so I think it was just a matter of. I think people, I think there's a Nick Swisher effect there. I think people feared that every time the Indians spend money in free agency, 
with and we're not talking about like one year deal here when they yeah. when they make a sizable commitment it seems like it burns them well I, I think mean, Encarnacion at least pushed those talks off for a year. And you also can go back even further with Travis Hafner that yeah. ended, that blowed up with them blow, you know, blow it up in their face. So yeah, I guess there's a little bit of uh, the the act of being gun shy, I suppose. But I mean, you compare to Encarnacion, he finished the two fifty eight, three seventy seven, five hundred four. 881 OPS. The year before, he finished 263, 357, 529. So a little less on base, a little bit more slugging. Finished with an OPS of 886, so only 0.05 point of difference. And also the WRC Plus, he was three back of 2016. So he was at 132 last year, 135 in 2016. That slow start was erased pretty quickly. And the one that's the, if you're talking about solo moments that stand out where it was like, okay, this dude is, he's capable of, of mashing and there's no reason to, to really be concerned. It might've happened before this, this moment, but the one I think of is his walk-off slam against the angels in July, Mm -hmm. where it was just like, (laughs) he got up to the plate and you knew the game was over before you even swung the bat. So that's what I'll I will take the the Encarnacion slow start that storyline with my second pick. Back to you. Yeah, his his injury in the playoffs doesn't get enough attention. I think that kind of changed a lot for the Indians lineup, which went in the tank those last few games. Uh, I'm going to go with Jose Ramirez's coming out party, um, capitalized by his All Star Game helmet loss he went two for two in the all-star game a couple of singles including one off max scherzer who had filthy stuff in that first inning but to me who is a am i an accountant an auditor of jose ramirez's helmet um the official the official bookkeeper of jose ramirez's helmet he had 62 helmet losses uh the year before 57 in the regular season five in the playoffs this year that dropped i think it was 37 regular season one All-Star game, one postseason. But the All-Star game, everyone got to see it. And even though he had a, a great season in 2016, I think there was still a little bit of skepticism. Okay, he might not be that good. He might not be a 50 doubles guy. He might not be a guy who hits 315 every year. Well, he, he did it again, and he did it with power, too. And that's, people ask me, why? No wonder the Indians didn't go far. His helmet didn't come off as much. <laughs> jokingly but it's no the reason why it didn't is because he had 29 home runs this guy who's like 5'8 stocky kind of chubby the the guy had 90 extra base hits uh it's pretty remarkable and he had an all-star season for everybody to see Uh, even though he struggled in the division series he had his shining moments in in the all-star game and and really I, i think i wrote i don't know how many times at least 10 that there was no reason for him to be hitting fifth in that lineup beyond at any point this season. And, and it took a long time for Terry Francona to move him to the three hole. It and took an injury. Did, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. even because he wanted to. It was because That's of true. an injury to, to Michael Brantley. He had no I thought, choice. I thought they were going to put Brantley in the three spot in the playoffs and move Ramirez back down to fifth or sixth behind Jay Bruce. Um, no, but he's he's the heartbeat of the lineup, and he's signed for a very inexpensive price for a long time. Yeah, team and, options, uh, by the way, in 22 and 23. Team options. Yeah. That uh, that works out pretty 
beautifully. I won't, I'm going to stick with Jose Ramirez here for my next draft pick. I no, not... you're going to steal mine. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I am. Well, you get the helmet. I get the birthday party. I'll trade you. I'll trade you this pick <laughs> no, for my next no, two. No, no. You got too cute, and you should have taken that one. You knew it was on the board, and that's your problem. So for those that didn't read about it this year uh, or follow us on Twitter, uh, during Jose Ramirez's birthday, which was September 17th, which took place during the winning streak, so everyone was feeling great about it, um, he had his 25th birthday. So his teammates, a couple of guys, Cookie, Carrasco, um, Danny Salazar, Giovanni Urshela, uh, I think Abraham Almonte might have been part of it. Am I leaving anybody out? Those are just the guys that were kind of part of it in the, the clubhouse during that day. I don't think there was anyone else. But anyways, so they put up uh, above his locker, in addition to getting him a birthday cake, they put above his locker two signs. One said, Happy Birthday, USA, t- 25 years old. The next one said, Happy Birthday from the Dominican Republic. And that one jokingly said, 30 years old. <laughs> and they also got him a birthday cake, which on it had two sets of numbers, 25 and 30. And I know there were a few people that were like, oh, wow, you probably shouldn't joke about that. But it's still pretty funny. So I would say this the, is a Jose Ramirez, the Jose yes. Ramirez birthday party. This is a clubhouse that gave Fausto Carmona three birthday cakes when he turned into Roberto Hernandez. So they have experience with it. Fair enough. So that's my selection. Sorry, you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, I'm going to go with... This is this is awkward, and I think there's a reason it dropped to what pick is this? Seven. Um, Corey Kluber is going to win, most likely his second Cy Young award. I I don't even know if he's going to want to like be on the MLB Network show. Yeah, I don't know that he's going to want to make public appearances. Um, but I he's going to win a Cy Young. He had an amazing year, and what he did after June first was absolutely incredible. His ERA was Bob Gibson, 1968-like. And every start, he, we call him the clue bot, say he's got robotic uh, attributes, and it's, it's true. Every five days, he went out there and produced just an incredible start, seven, eight, nine innings, two runs or fewer, every single time until October. Um, but... Even more than that is is just the shift in what the rotation was able to accomplish. They were one of the worst rotations in the league in April and May. Kluber comes off the DL on June 1st, delivers a six-shutout inning start, and after that, the rotation was much better. Trevor Bauer got better. Carlos Carrasco was pretty steady throughout. Um, and it just kind of seemed like having Kluber there as that anchor kind of eased everybody's minds. And... The rotation is why the Indians have been a trendy pick the last few years. It's why they'll continue to be a World Series contender for the foreseeable future. Um, And that starts with Corey Kluber, who should add a shiny piece of hardware to his mantle in a couple of weeks. So you go Kluber. I'm going to stick with a pitcher. And this will be a solo moment. It will be one that uh, I experienced at the Mineral Museum in Chicago. The showdown between Trevor Bauer and Avisail Garcia, in which Trevor Bauer tried to remind Avisail of the rules of the game, in which it says you don't have to only throw fastballs, which led to oh, 
a war of words, I guess. It didn't last too long, but in the, the at-bat, it ended with Bauer striking out Garcia and pointing him back to the dugout, which was already fantastic if you enjoy a little bit of that in, in your game of baseball. And then after the game, uh, Bauer said of Garcia, he likes to run his mouth. You start sitting there talking, oh, they don't throw me fastballs. Why do they just throw me breaking balls? He said it before, not sure he knows that the rules of this game say you can throw whatever pitch you want. And he started yapping at me. I told him after I threw him, or let's see, he said something while he was nodding his head, and I'm right on you or something I told him. If you're that confident, step back into the box. Let's go. Get back into the box. And he ended up fouling off a pitch, and at the very end, he said, I decided to remind him of the rules of the game, Bauer said, after the strikeout. Three strikes, you're out. You can go sit back in the dugout. To his credit, he took it like a champ. He put his head down, shut his mouth, and walked his L back to the dugout. Good for him. The face turn by Trevor Bauer, which it's like weird because it's he has continued his heelish personality but he's done it in a way that's made him a face anti has been one of yeah it's been one of my favorite storylines of this year that garcia exchange was fantastic um not just from uh someone that's covering the game i think just from a baseball fan perspective and i know we talked about this on that that next podcast but I think having a little bit of that is is fantastic we're seeing that in the world series too with guys you know of course the no, no racist gestures, please. But still, how much, how much fun have you had watching guys sh- show the type of emotion they have? Uh, trying to remember who was someone from the Astros last night hit the home run and and stopped before they even got to Correa. first base. Was it Correa? Carlos Correa like stopped and did a dance number before he got to first base. <laughs> he jumped in the air, looked in his own dugout, and then started running again. I think that's fantastic. So a little bit of the, uh, the Bauer Garcia element. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm going to go with, uh, changing the tone a little bit. I'm going to go with Terry Francona and his health scare. And there's, there's a happy ending. I mean, he's, he had his procedure. He admitted he was more wiped out at the end of this year than in any previous year, but he is healthy. He was able to manage the whole second half. And I'm going to pinpoint one specific part of the episode that what it started in June, ended after the All-Star break. Um, but everyone is concerned about Terry Francona. He had to leave a few games early. Everyone's wondering what's going on. He has to have all these tests at the clinic. And, of course, he makes sure that in the press release, updating everybody about his condition and and – about his his symptoms and, and how he'll be monitored over a course of a few weeks to see what's wrong with his heart. He slips in the line. Mr. Francona also wanted to express that medical personnel have not yet ruled out an allergy to bench coach Brad Mills. So everyone is you, you get a you get an email in your inbox and all you see is Terry Francona update. And that could be anything. I remember I was driving to the ballpark when that happened, I'm reading this as I'm driving up 71 and I'm like, Oh God, Terry Francona update. Is he dead? Is he in in a coma? Is he on life support? Like what's, what's going on? Is he okay? And one of the first things I see, because the, the first paragraph is a little bulky. And then I just see this line that says, Mr. Francona also wanted to express. And I'm like, 
what could that be? So the first thing I read is is his joke, and I'm like, okay, well, he's definitely not dead or in a coma, um, and he still has his wits about him. So that just goes to show you Francona's personality. It shows you his relationship with Brad Mills. The two go back to their days together at Arizona in the late 70s, and uh, yeah, it's it had a good ending because he got the procedure he needed and was healthy enough to to manage the rest of the way. Is there a better odd couple in baseball than those no. two? <laughs> no. Uh, it was it was actually the the side effect is we got to have a little a few more interactions with with Millsy than we typically do, which I actually enjoyed. I thought he handled it uh, spectacularly for what he had to do, and then yeah, the, the no fact doubt. that the, <laughs> the fact that they had to then go to the All Star game without Tito and Brad Mills is now gone from bench coach to managing the AL All Stars was was incredible, and I thought he handled it just better than anybody could have expected him to. And, um, of course, well, with, the with, our, part, our interactions are always great, but yeah. it's just I, – I thought – I think he deserves a, a lot of credit for the way that he handled – not just him, but the whole entire staff, the way they handled that entire situation. So it was hilarious to me that he was the manager of the Astros when they were tanking, right? And they were rebuilding that thing from the bottom floor. And so they're losing 104 games a year. And he's the manager, and, and it, it's a lame duck situation. You're never going to survive that. But he probably imagined... Hugh Jackson! <coughs> <Excuse me. laughs> especially, especially because, remember, Sports Illustrated put that cover that said Astros 2017 World Series champions. So he's probably thinking, I'm going to get to manage an all-star game in one of these years down the line and because we're going to finally turn it around and have built up all this talent through the farm system. And obviously that didn't happen. He didn't last in Houston. But he does manage the All-Star game in 2017, and the Astros are on the verge of winning the World Series. It all planned out how he thought. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it just, you know, the journey doesn't matter. It's all about the destination. Right. <laughs> uh, I was for my next pick, I'm going to stick with uh, a Tito-ism. A uh, little different than a joke on Millsy, but remember just before the, the win streak began, the 22-game winning streak, Two days before that, the Indians were as as low as you can go. Um, if it's it seemed just like they continued to to do much of what they did the whole year, where they're just kind of spinning their wheels. They're not really they're not really finding that consistency that we all anticipated they would they would find at some point. And you know, Andrew Miller's on the disabled list again, or he's hurt, and you know. Uh, Danny Salazar isn't looking like what he's supposed to look like. And Michael Brantley's hurt. And, and the team is just trying to once again overcome endless adversity. And Tito, at the end of his press conference with us, says, you just got to keep on keeping on, referencing the movie Joe Dirt. <laughs> it's, so it, while the season is potentially crumbling around them, Tito is referencing the movie Joe Dirt. Now, unfortunately, you've never seen Joe Dirt because you've never seen about 99% of the world's movies. But, but I know what he looks like. Yeah, right. You know what the, the actor or the actual character Joe Dirt looks like? I know like. Well, both. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to make sure. Yeah, I know the mullet. It made sense to me when he called Josh Tomlin Joe Dirt later on. So David Spade character the joe dirt character getting a shout out that will be my my next draft pick because right after that the indians went 22 and 1 in their next 23 games so is there something to it 
Is there some sort of magic in the movie Joe Dirt? I don't know. I can only look at the outcome, which was pretty good leading up to game three, four, and five of the ALDS. You're missing the boat because the day after that was my first day at the Athletic and the Indians started 22-0 and since I switched jobs. But enough about that. Good to I see will... you're just as humble as our other teammate, Travis Sawcheck. <laughs> and how do you – I like the Joe Dirt reference, but boy, can we talk for a minute about <laughs> – Harry Francona's love of the movie Daredevil? <laughs> hey, man, there's plenty more draft picks. You, you could have waited to get to that level. I didn't want to spend too many of them on Terry Francona's movie choices, but it's game, it's game five of the DS. Like, the Indians are trying not to have a complete collapse. They're wondering if Kluber's going to be okay, Encarnacion going to be okay, Brantley going to be okay, how's he going to use his bullpen? Um, how do you pitch to Aaron Judge? How do you hit CC Sabathia and, and avoid having the Yankees go to that bullpen? And it's it's like three hours before first pitch, and he's talking to us about the movie Daredevil and Jennifer Garner, and like, <laughs> and it all started because there was a bug on the <laughs> cabinet behind him, which Hoinsey pointed out. I had been staring at it for about ten minutes because I was afraid it was a spider, and I thought I might need to leave the room. But it turned out to be a fly, and then that spawns into this 10-minute conversation about Daredevil. And I, I, I guess I can make this my draft pick. I just The things that man talks about, and I don't know if this is like a mechanism, a mental thing to just help him cope with the pressure, but I was thinking about how a year ago, I think a year ago yesterday, the Indians went up 3-1 to one in the World Series, and like they have a chance to clinch a championship and he reveals that he ordered $44 worth of ice cream the night before. <laughs> and that he, I remember the flavors were what he went two scoops of chocolate, vanilla with chocolate syrup, something else, cookies and cream maybe, and then berries, the berry flavor to be healthy, and a Diet Coke. And like, <laughs> we're all like, uh, okay, so you, you, you're like, you like Bauer tonight on three days rest to, to try to win the world series. And he's like, Oh, but I got to tell you about this chocolate syrup that they put on. Like <laughs> the guy is just a marvel. Yeah. I, I told you this at some point during the playoffs, but there, there are times, and this is, this is part of what makes Francona that, that great leader that everyone talks about. And you know, we could talk endlessly and we have about decisions in the ALDS and all those sorts of things. But there, there's a reason why, even if they made choices that the players didn't necessarily agree with, none of them are going to publicly say anything and all of them will run through a wall for him. Uh, part of it is just the way that he's able to disarm and make people comfortable. And I, I remember just many times since the five years that he's been there where you go down to the clubhouse and it's, it's a, disaster zone you know nobody wants to talk there's tumbleweeds blowing through it's it's tough to really even get much of anything out of those situations you go upstairs and you're like man how is this team going to recover from this you know how are they going to come back the next day and play after a loss like this and then come back the next day and and everyone in the clubhouse seems just fine and it's like they hit the reset button and then we'd go talk to to tito about these these really important things, whether it's Brantley's health or, or some, another injury or you know, some, all these crazy things that happen. And he just has this way of when you leave that conversation, you're like, you know, things probably aren't as bad as what I thought. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how, you know, you can 
you can try to replicate that, and I think people probably do in, in their own way. But man, is he such a great, not only motivator, but just someone that knows the right thing to say in the right situation to kind of take the edge off a little bit. It's it's why he is it seems like he's always in the running for manager of the year and his teams often overachieve. He hasn't had a losing season since he was in Philadelphia in 2000. Um he's just got a knack. You, you can't teach it. It's it's remarkable. All right, my next draft pick since you're going Daredevil and the the, the fly in his office. Uh I will take the Papa shot and DJ in Kansas mm. city, which I thought for sure when I tweeted this out, I was going to get a lot of people th- that were going to be upset about this and compare it to the, the beer and chicken from Boston, that this is going to be the thing that, that, that they lose their edge because they're focused on Papa shot games and a DJ in the, the clubhouse and not going out and winning games. This happened in Kansas city. And it was right before the road trip was due to end. It was a super long road trip. It was the one that was to Tampa Bay, Minnesota, and then Kansas City. And it, the trip was ending in Kansas City. It was a super long trip. And we walk in that first day. They had a, day. a makeup game in Boston, too. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So they have this super long road trip. Everyone's kind of dragging a little bit. I'm sure everyone wants to get home. We walk in that first day, and it sounds like a nightclub with the bass just <laughs> pumping. And you walk in, and, of course, most clubhouses have – video games or you know what you know different things in there to kind of occupy players but you go in there and they're playing with a papa shot machine and the guys are in there and they're just going rapid fire trying to beat each other's score and then we later find out that this was this was terry francona's doing where he he thought hey the guys could really use a little bit of energy a little bit of a pick-me-up so i'm gonna bring this in here just to kind of liven up the mood and they ended up winning two or three in that series and they played really well uh, outside of the finale, but that stands out to me as kind of the, along the same lines what we were talking about with Tito, just kind of knowing the right times to have the finger on the pulse of just not only the, the right moves on the field that you have to make, but sort of the things you have to do off the field as well to keep everybody into it. But seeing an actual DJ, and I mean an actual a guy standing there with the patented one ear flap of the headphone on one ear flap of the headphone off look that a DJ has as he's bumping out tunes was, was not something I expected to see ever in a clubhouse, but there it was. Andre not saw that DJ out later that night at an undisclosed location. Um, performing of course, um, with my final pick, I am going to go with something called, well, do you remember Quickly, you get five seconds to answer this. Who was the prospect the Indians traded for Jay Bruce? Uh, Ryder Ryan. Very good. Don't flip those names around. I was really concerned. Um, Ryder Ryan actually had eight decent appearances for the Class A Columbia Fireflies, the Mets A-ball team in the – what league is that? The, oh, of course, the South Atlantic League. Of course. And Who can forget? So maybe he'll develop into the next Mariano Rivera. I'm going to guess not. I'm going to guess it's going to end up being a nice trade for the Indians, even though it didn't produce the postseason results they desired. But they gave up nothing for Jay Bruce, and 
he's had one of the most productive years of his career, career high in home runs. He had huge moments for the Indians, delivered the walk-off and win number 22 in a row, delivered the game-tying home run in game two of the division series. Uh, He was a a much-needed source of power and stability in the outfield for an outfield that for years has seemed like they're just mixing and matching at all three spots. Well, that hasn't been, that wasn't the case so much in the second half this year because they had Jay Bruce to play right field. And more than anything, even though it didn't pan out, I think now you at least have a shot at retaining him. Yeah. If he had never come here, it probably doesn't make sense for either side. Um, but he admitted he loved being here and loved the clubhouse camaraderie. It helped that they went on a tear once he got here, but uh, I, I would think, and of course, this is something we'll be asked and we'll be discussing for weeks. I don't know if Brantley, Santana, Bruce, I don't know if any of them or all of them will be back, but at least Bruce can be in that conversation now because you gave up a low-level prospect and agreed to pay a little bit of money to bring him in. Yeah, I think that last point is one that's probably overlooked now, but it does create at least more of a possibility than there was there previously. Because now, not only do not only does Jay Bruce understand the Indians and and got a taste of that, and maybe wants to continue that, but the Indians now, before deciding whether or not they would want to give a multi-year deal to someone like that, also got to see what he's like and to see how he would fit, and kind of got an up close view of of Jay Bruce. So. I think that works hand in hand. All right, final thing from me, and I have so many things still written down, like like taking Ethan to his first ball game at Progressive Field. But then again, does that really fit on this list? That's probably not a memory for everybody. That's just a memory for me. That Toronto game that Bauer brought out the slider for the first time, and that was Ethan's first game. So that's kind of like an honorable mention, but I'm not going to actually include it on the list. You care more about Papa Shot than your son? Well, I wasn't going to actually include it on the list. It was I thought I'd throw it in at the end so it would be more memorable, but thanks for making me feel like a bad father. Um, well, since I've gone completely random with most of these, I'm not going to go serious now. I will say Josh Tomlin becoming the powder king. Hmm. Uh, I will remember from this season. Tomlin decided at one point this year he wanted to take the walk-offs to a new level, so he decided to introduce baby powder. And I remember talking to him the next day as he chatted with us. And what did he say? That Lindor couldn't breathe because he was breathing in the baby. The baby powder was getting into his lungs. And so he thought, oh, boy, I better stop this. Our all-star shortstop's about ready to collapse on the field because he can't breathe. But he kept doing it. Uh, So Josh Tomlin introducing the the baby powder into walk-off celebrations is in there. But I'm going to throw an honorable mention in for Josh Tomlin's endless friendliness because here's a guy that, as we've joked before, will talk to anyone at any time if you ask, and the the most friendly of player won't do that. And that's just a a testament to the type of guy he is. And I, I know, I think we've written about it before, but... I'll throw him under the bus now. Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal at one point forgot that Tomlin was supposed to pitch or was scheduled to pitch that night, and you don't talk to the starting pitcher the day of his start before the game. And he had forgotten, so he talked to him, and other guys probably would have slapped the reporter in the face and said, get out of here. And Tomlin said, oh, sure, come on over. We'll talk. Want to talk strategy? You want to talk anything you want? 
And I, I really believe, Zach, that if you, if you let him and if we were allowed to, we would be allowed to talk all the way up to when he had to go out and actually start taking the mound for his start. There, you hear all the good things people say about how good of a teammate he is and how beneficial it is to have him in the clubhouse. And it's, it's a no-brainer the Indians should pick up his $3 million option for next year. And, and it's, it doesn't always translate on the mound. He's an easy guy to root for because he's not blessed with the greatest stuff in the world. Um, and he has to compete out there. And he, he does it. From time to time, and, and he did it when the Indians needed him most uh, a year ago, and it's it's great to have him in the clubhouse. I think what what substance would you want to see introduced to walk off celebrations next? We've seen baby powder, we've seen Lonnie Chisenhall fill cups with water. What else can they do? Like ketchup, just squirting <laughs> Heinz bottles all over each other? Well, I think they'd have to go stadium mustard, just because it yeah. is Cleveland after all. So stadium mustard, sure. I mean, teams have gotten in trouble for things seen in the background of lockers during post-game interviews. So that would be a little bit shocking if those elements got brought out to post-game celebrations. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not condiments? I think that's that's appropriate. Just like a food fight. Just bring all sorts of food and throw pizza, cheeseburgers at each other. I, I think if we could make it like a, a lunchroom food fight, that, I, I would be here for that, for sure. Dollar dogs? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that would be fun. All right, so we'll give the last tally as I wrote them down. You're going to win this competition because I just went wild. Uh, your final You did the Sashi Brown thing and decided not to pick the good players. That, that's right. That's I, I went the analytical route, and you just went, because you're a football guy, went with the, the X's and O's. Uh, you have the last two innings of the 22-game 22 22 winning streak, the Lindor slam in Game 2 against the Yankees, Jose Ramirez coming out party, but his helmet total, especially in the All-Star game, Corey Kluber becoming a robot from June 1st on, though melting down in the final two games of the playoffs, Francona's health, Francona's random movie choices, and Ryder Ryan becoming Jay Bruce. Those are your top memories from 2017. I have the Lindor slam against Texas in Game 3, the storyline of Edwin Encarnacion's slow start, Jose Ramirez's birthday party, the showdown between Avisayo Garcia and Trevor Bauer, the Joe Dirt-Francona connection, the DJ and Papa shot in Kansas City, and Josh Tomlin's love for all things baby powder. You definitely won that conversation, so congratulations. Yeah, that's not surprising. Well, I did give you the first pick, after all. You didn't know Hector Luna. He's right up your alley. You love those Mike Rouse-type guys. I do, but it's not Mike Rouse, so you should have picked one of my favorites. But it's okay. I'll look past that. Uh, if anybody at home is sitting there screaming at their podcast, if they somehow have listened for an hour and a half, that we've missed something, that how can we forget about something, because I'm sure that there's a, probably a lengthy list of fun things that we forgot from this season. Just tweet them at us, at Zach Meisel, at TJ Zuppi. Uh, send us an email. You can find them both on our, on our uh, Twitter profiles, and we'll bring them up next podcast, you know, if we actually get to record it. So we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to diversify my interests this offseason, as we've discussed, and um, I've discovered... I might music history might be my uh, new forte that I try to learn as much about as possible this off season. I found a really interesting documentary about 
the origin and evolution of hip-hop. So I've been watching that quite a bit around thinking of, of story ideas to write about for The Athletic. But this this podcast is, is always a constant, and it's it's a good thing to be able to sink my teeth into every week, even on days it doesn't record properly. <laughs> but see, it worked for us. It was therapeutic for us. Have you discovered any new hobbies or interests? Uh, I have been... Well, I mean, I guess it's not really new. I I am a huge fan of conspiracies and and just really crazy ideas. So I've been going into podcasts in that realm and ghosts and aliens and anything else conspiracy-wise. I love all of that. So more time devoted to that. And I felt like, you know, since our whole world is going to crap, I should learn a little bit about politics. So I've opened myself up to that a little bit more. So that's been... I would say fun, but really not Stick to that sports. Much. I notice I haven't brought any of that up on the podcast because as, as I say with most of my political thoughts, it's, t- it's hard enough for me to, to make friends and then keep them. It's nearly impossible, if not completely impossible, if I start introducing politics into my friendships because I can't keep them if we keep politics out. That's her. Uh, is Ethan being anything for Halloween? He is a cheetah. A cheetah, okay. Uh, yeah, my wife got him a full, full body cheetah outfit, which you know is is different among college campuses as it would be for children. But you know he looks adorable <laughs> wearing a full length cheetah costume. Well, it's probably the same size as many of the <laughs> cheetah outfits college kids would wear. That's probably fair. But we took him. Uh, we took him a couple of days ago to uh to one trick-or-treat and then he's going to get to go trick-or-treating tomorrow so he uh he doesn't know it yet but he's going to have some fun very nice don't bring him in my neighborhood because i my goal is to eat all the candy before my wife can pass it out and linus who has polished off the bone that i gave him an hour and a half ago uh will be dressing up as a pumpkin has a cute little hat to go with it uh tried it on the other day as some people may have seen already and he hates it, but it looks good. So we'll see if we can keep it on longer than five minutes. Well, at least Ethan and Linus have something in common. They both hate headwear. So there will be no hoods on Ethan's cheetah outfit and no headwear for Linus. So thank yeah. each of you for subscribing every week and sticking with us. And, of course, subscribing at The Athletic. Thanks, to everybody, for listening to the Selby is Godcast. And we will catch you next week.